What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can leave likes and comments on our Facebook page and also follow us on iTunes and Spotify. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And today we are joined by Adam Hamilton, who is a producer, record producer, who spent some time as, spent some time as a band member of L.A. Guns. Uh, he once lived with C.C. DeVille, which I'm sure was just crazy. And uh, he's done some really cool stuff in, as a producer. He's worked with some musicians as well as actors who've cut records, uh, not the least of which was William Shatner from Star Trek fame. <laughs> so we'll get into all that and we'll find out what it was like working with all those folks. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Adam Hamilton, our special guest today on the Talk Louder podcast. Yes, Adam, thank you. thank you. Thank you for joining us, man. It's great to see you. It's really good to see you guys too, man. It's been far too long, and uh, I appreciate you asking me to come on and chat with you. And oh, anytime yeah. to come and see you guys and chat rock and roll, I'm in. You know, awesome. absolutely, man. Thank you for that. And man, your hair looks fantastic. Still, I don't know. <laughs> this guy might have the, some of the best hair in rock uh, and roll. When, when I when I first met Adam, he was playing bass in L.A. Guns, and he had this kind of this sort of hedgehog thing that was all yeah. it was real spiky. But then it was like leopard print, you know. It was yep. black and yellow, and it just looked super cool. And now wow. that now that you're kind of gone back, you sort of reverted back to a little more soccer uh, dad look. <laughs> hey, if that's soccer dad, then count me in. I bet you're the coolest looking soccer oh, dad man. in the field, man. It's so funny, man. You live out here and, you know, I walk around. Yeah, I used to think I looked rock and roll. Now it's just like, man, I I look like a soccer dad compared to the edginess of some people. It's hysterical. But thank you, man. <laughs> All those compliments go back to you, too, man. You got the serious rock and roll style. Ah, oh, thanks, man. So we we met. Uh, you and I met when you were actually playing bass in L.A. Guns, and I want to yep. say that was about two thousand five or maybe so. San Antonio. Yeah, the first time we met was in San Antonio. Yep. Yeah, That's and right. um, our our buddy Patrick Kennison introduced yep. me to you guys, and you guys were just so cool. I mean, you especially just kind of made me feel welcome took me on the bus, sat me down, introduced me to the guys. And I'd never met you before. And I was just like, yeah. this guy's great, man. And uh, we exchanged contact information and we've been in touch ever since. And it's been yep. great watching your uh, oh, man. your uh, your career and, and some of the things that you're doing now and things you've done in the past. And we'll Thanks, brother. touch on all that here in just a bit. Um, I appreciate it. Well, you know, Patrick's family. And, and when Patrick says, hey, these guys are family, then, you know, that circle just comes comes together. You know how it is. Yeah, yeah. And Jason and Patrick go way back. As oh, well. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, man, there's so much to talk about with you. I'm not sure where to start, but why don't we start um, in the present and maybe we'll work backwards. So, yeah, if I understand correctly, you're currently doing something with Elliot Easton from the cars. Is that right? Yeah, um, I'm working on a few different things. But, uh, Elliot, I I produced a record a few years ago, one of the William Shatner records we did, and Elliot and I have a lot of mutual friends, and he came in and was a guest on that, so we realized that he lives like 10 minutes from me, so whenever he needs to do any kind of session or anything, he just calls me and pops over here, and we do it here, so we're, we were working on a Leslie West tribute record that he's playing on, 
Oh, that's fucking cool. Yeah, man. So it's just, it's just so cool, you know. And plus, we have friends, a lot of mutual friends. So we're just, you know, it's just a good hang. It's just He's a, good a fun monster hang. player. Oh, oh man, yeah. yeah. Pretty I, I, unbe unbelievable I was, what that guy can do on a guitar. Yeah, you know, I always tell him, I said, the best compliment I think I can give you, it's just because of what I like as a guitar player, is like he writes like melodies that are hooks in the song. And my wife will walk around when we're, like singing a singing and doing to entertain my kid or something and we'll be singing a car song and the solo comes up and she'll start singing the solo and i'm like there you go man you know yeah. even yeah, somebody who's not a musician you know it just gets a, it, it's a hooky melody so he's he's a sweetheart too so i was excited to see you working with him because uh i i won't say i was a huge cars fan as a kid but they were one of those bands that was kind of on the periphery that i that i totally respected and admired oh, yeah I could tell, I mean, I, I did like their songs, don't get me wrong, but I didn't collect their albums or go to their concerts or I anything. was the same way, totally but the same I, way. I always liked their look and their vibe. And, and to me, Elliot was always kind of a standout dude. You know, number one, he's left-handed, but he just always had this cool swagger about him with the so very much and everything. He, yeah. was, uh, he was like this uh, new wave Buddy Holly lefty guy he had yeah. glasses perfect example he, yeah he was i mean just as far as a look and yeah. and uh, dave's right the lefty thing through you out there wasn't other than hendrix you know who's probably yeah. the most popular lefty um, yeah but then you listen to like uh uh nightlife solo it just sounds like i mean it's, it's like a banjo hey write this solo yeah. on a banjo and play it on an electric guitar exactly a like. lot of a lot of his stuff was literally like old school chicken picking, you know, yeah. he, yeah, he like, just came, came from such a, 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 a cool old school place that uh, it, he just had his own thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So for people listening, we should, you know, we've got the visual here on YouTube with your albums framed in the background and everything, but Adam is, you know, basically a, a record producer these days. And uh, we're talking about some of the, his, his recent projects, Elliot Easton being one of them. Um, and you mentioned William Shatner and I mean, dude, I wasn't going to get into this till later, but since you brought him up, uh, uh, what are the odds of your, I mean, who gets to produce an album by William Shatner, a television and, and, icon? And didn't Patrick Kinnison play? Yeah, He's man. He's involved. He's involved yeah. somehow. Yeah. Uh, Pat, Patrick is just one of my go-to guys. You know, once he and I hooked up, I just, am like, if I ever need some great harmonies on something or background vocals or a guitar part that I can't do. I just call Patrick up and, you know, 30 minutes later, he sends me the files or he comes over and we have a hang and yeah, I pulled him in. Uh, he saved my ass because one of the songs we had to do was Bohemian Rhapsody. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? And I'm like, I'm going to call Patrick and I'm going to get him yep. to come sing all the harmonies and it's going to be great. And it turned out fantastic, but he, he's like my, my secret weapon, man, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've had the pleasure of knowing him for years and years and years from our old San Antonio days. Yep, absolutely, man. Patrick's yeah. the best. Love him. So the so your studio where you do all this work is in your home. Is that correct? Yeah, we we moved out of West Hollywood and kind of got out of L.A. Uh, about 12 years ago. And my wife is like, you know, aren't you kind of tired of living in the thick of it? Like we really don't do anything anymore. We're kind of like boring and I work and we go to dinner maybe and we're in bed by eight and we got a little kid she's like don't you want to have a place where we can like you can have your studio at home and we can have a pool and hang out and so the minute you start doing that in LA you're like all right let's start you got to start moving out because yeah. the prices in LA are, in California are ridiculous 
but we kind of started looking in an area that we really liked, which, you know, and if I've got to go see a band at the whiskey or something on a, on the weekend, I can literally get on the 101 and I'm there in 15 minutes. So we're not that far, but we're far enough to where you can find parking and people are nice and you're not living on top of one another. And so if I've got my studio here at our if place. You be at an iconic venue in 15 yeah. minutes. You didn't move very far. Out. I didn't, I didn't, but, but that's also me getting in on the freeway at, you know, 10 o'clock at night and hauling ass right. and I can get there quick. That's right. But uh, we move far enough out where it's like, you know, we're out of the, we're in the suburbs, which I'm going nice. to throw a wrench. I'm going to throw a wrench in here. Where are you from originally? I am originally from Shreveport, Louisiana, okay. but then I migrated to Texas and actually lived a year in Austin and lived mm-hmm. a year and a half in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Didn't know Patrick or you guys back Here. then. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. When was that? When were you? That was uh, in the early 90s. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's how I got out to California. Well, I knew that I was eventually going to hopefully end up out here. I just was, I was just kind of like a little overwhelmed with the thought of just up and moving to Hollywood. I didn't really know anybody. But I was playing in a bar in Austin on 6th Street, and that's where I met CC from Poison when they were in town on that Flesh and Blood tour. Weird. And I went up and hit him up and said, hey, man, I'm jamming upstairs. Come up and jam with us. And he was really nice, and he came up and sat in with us and invited me to the concert, and that was kind of my big break. He kind of said, hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to quit the band, and I want you to play in my, my solo band. Wow. Uh, and, and I'm going to bring you out to L.A. And about a year later, he did that once he finally quit the band. So. Austin, Sixth Street was kind of where it all started, you know. That's wow. weird. Right place, right time. You're 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 on Sixth Street of all uh, god awful places, and yeah, and yeah. Are you in a cover band or you do what? Are you yeah, man. I, I literally moved down to uh, I moved to Austin because I knew a, a a drummer in a funk band down there, and he literally got me a gig, and I was the white kid and a white drummer in an all black funk band on Sixth Street. And, you know, we played soul and funk and all this stuff. Uh, and I did that for a while and the band kind of fizzled. And then I got in this other cover band and I was just kind of trying to get my, you know, trying to meet people, get my feet, foot in the door. I didn't really know that many people. And so it was just a cover band, you know, covering everything. I mean, just rock and roll and stuff. And that's the one that, that I was playing with that CeCe came in and saw us and yeah. sat in with us. So, so CeCe just randomly shows up at this club. Yeah. Yeah, he was in town. Poison was playing the Flesh and Blood tour in like, what, 91 or 92. They were still happening and and, uh, and they had the top 10 record at the time and they played the Frank Irwin Center on Friday. Do you remember who was opening that show? That's a good question. Uh, Maybe Slaughter or something. Was it David Lee Roth? No, No, it wasn't David Lee Roth. I I think it was Slaughter maybe. Um, I didn't catch them, but I think that's who it was or the in the bullet boys maybe it was winger or slaughter i'm not slaughter, sure slaughter sounds right yeah same i think that was thing. but i don't think it was warrant i know they opened some of that tour yeah but they played that thing. yeah yeah they played <laughs> that um that uh frank Aaron center we went to see that show and he pulled me on the bus after the show and he goes i'm miserable i want to start my own band and i want it to be kind of different and weird and unique and i want you to be my drummer and i'm like I just had that out of body experience, you know, that, you, that were like, I'm, I'm having my first real big break right now. This is like, I'm, I'm, I was like watching it happen. <laughs> and now like, you know, 30 years later, I look back and I'm like, yeah, that was like the big door that opened and 
you, obviously you, you have many breaks that that happen you, hopefully you met, in the right you met his people you got to yeah i got it i got in uh, you know i got in i got was able to get in the ring you know what i mean you yeah. know when you get your first big deal like you know you know uh it's like all of a sudden you're like okay now i'm now i'm over the ropes okay yeah. now I, now what am i going to do with this and how am i going to not fuck this up you know <laughs> for, for the record i just want to say i just want to blurt out if it's not obvious to a lot of other people because you know, you got metalheads are not really poison fans, but yeah. a lot of them are secretly yeah, or not. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's strange. But I got to tell you something. If you listen to CC's guitar playing, he's better than he's letting you know. Absolutely, he's a better guitar player than you think he is. Just You're by listening to just yep. randomly pick a poison song, that's yep. not really what he does. Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. I, knew, I, I, I even know that. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw a side, a side of him while I was playing with him and living up at his house that I was like, you know, nobody knows in Poison what he can really do because it's no. just a different scene. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I was going to ask you. So you, he shows up at your gig randomly. Yep. He invites you to L.A. to be his drummer. And then yeah. from what you've told me in the past, you end up living with him. And yeah. I mean, it, it, the whole idea was like he's got this giant mansion up at the top of the Hollywood Hills, the, the House of Horrors, he called it. Yeah, that's <laughs> where I was going. I was yeah, going. nothing in it, all white marble and glass overlooking the. I mean, Burt Reynolds on your left, Madonna on your right. Uh, uh, what's her name? Diana Ross right here. Wow. And you literally are like. Okay, I got my first big break, and I'm just going straight to the top of the hill. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> it was pretty funny, man. But uh, it was also a, a good lesson, um, and timing is everything. Even though I got this great break, and th the timing is everything in getting that break, the timing of his wanting to go solo and put a band together was terrible. Because yeah. literally, we tried our best. We we did photo shoots for every rock magazine. You know, he did tons of press. We we tried to write a lot of songs, but there was a lot too much partying going on, which was inhibiting any real good um, work being done. Yeah. We were living at his house with him, so it was literally like you stay sleep all day, stay up all night jamming and doing photo shoots and playing rock star, and then you wake up and you're like, okay, all we're doing is a lot of partying. Uh, this is a great scene to do it in, and you know we're in a bunch of magazines, but we're not able to get a deal. So, you know, what's wrong with mm -hmm. this picture? After three months, I was kind of like going, the novelty of all this and the excitement is kind of starting to wear thin. I, I'm starting to feel a little out of sorts from all the partying and, my, and a back, completely backward schedule. And he was going down a dark road with all the, his partying because um, he, he was going a lot harder than, than I was. And uh, I was trying to keep some sense of, of reality and normalcy and, and to keep up with him all night to play drums for eight hours you know you, you had just quit your life yeah you yeah that, life and you were living yeah. and you were surviving and i mean yeah. even if it be like you know okay this is i'm on sixth street you yep. know but then you're not on sixth street and so I, that's a yeah. little bit of a lesson uh within its own little yeah thing that and you're and i think also i was aware enough to pay attention and and, and i was clear-headed enough to pay attention to the signs around me and what was happening. Um, and I remember one day, it's this one defining moment where we're watching MTV and all of a sudden Nirvana comes on and, you know, Dave Grohl is just 
going crazy. And we were both like, whoa, look at this guy play drums. This is crazy. What is this? And I just had this aha moment where I thought, wait a second, I'm watching the old guard, you know, the, the chapter close on that. And the yeah. new guard is showing up. And literally, you know, looking back in retrospect with hindsight 2020, that's exactly what was happening. And that's the why we couldn't get a deal because people were getting ready to, they were signing everything and anything that's remotely sounded like grunge and grunge was coming in and our timing was terrible, you know? Yeah. And there you so, go. There's, there's the timing uh, in life is coming this, into play once again. Is this, band, is this band Samantha 7 or is this something nope. worse? This was like a year or two prior to that. This was okay. called the C.C. DeVille Experiment. Okay. All right. He had a bunch of different lineups. He had one with James Kotak, uh, Needle Park. He had one with uh, uh, Kelly Hansen was in that. He also had one with Carmine, a piece, and um, Jimmy Bain and that. You know, so he had all these little projects that he was trying to do and it wouldn't really work. And he put another one together. And, you know, and I think Samantha Seffen was the one that John Kalodner finally said, hey, let's let's do this right. Let's sign you and really let you make a record you know but but you know cc's not a lead singer you know and i think the project might have had a little bit more of a a shot with somebody singing but i you know once again timing is everything so you know yeah yeah well that yeah i was gonna ask you because one of the one of the uh most memorable scenes for me in the uh i, I guess it's the poison behind the music yeah. where cc says something is he talks about his house. And he goes. It started off as the the house, and then it, the house of horrors, and then it ended up as the house of horrors. It was, man. It was. <laughs> it it started out a lot of fun, and it got real dark, man. It got real yeah. dark. But there were some fun nights. I mean, I got to meet all these guys that I always loved in bands. They, the Motley Crue guys, and the Bullet Boys, and the and Sam Kennison, and they would all come up and party and hang out. And Ron Jeremy back in the day, and we would just it was be it would be a party every night, and you were just like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. Let's talk so, about CC's yeah. accent and yeah. like crazy because he's a character. He could have been yeah. in a movie as himself, or yeah, like some weird James Cagney kind of a I'm vibe, a gangster guy. Yeah, um, I guess it's not a road that that he sort of, you know, he doesn't claim that he wants to act or something, but I feel like he could have done like voiceover shit. Just he sure could have being Absolutely. his own character. It's fucking great. Where is yeah. he originally from? That they're from his family's from New York. He's from New York. Okay. Yeah. Cause I yep. knew that, you know, the rest of his gang or most of was uh, Pennsylvania. Just they were all from Pennsylvania. Yep. He was uh, the odd, the odd guy out. He was yeah. from New York. Yeah. All right. So, so you're living in the house of horrors yep, and then, yep. uh, you, so you, you make a, you make a break, uh, but you're still in LA. So no, I actually decided to come back, uh, to Louisiana for a bit and just okay. kind of regroup and get my head on straight. And, uh, and I did move, I moved my stuff back there, stayed for about a year. And then I got on the phone with Jerry Miller, um, at, you know, who, at metal edge. And I said, Hey, I, I'm thinking about coming back and living permanently do you know of anybody looking for a drummer and she said i do i just got off the phone with a band called shake the faith D dave aragon and uh kenny queens and all and and tommy thayer yeah uh and she said yeah they're kind of regrouping they're looking for a new drummer they changed the name to number nine and they're looking and you'd be great for it so i was like well how about that there you go there's good timing so I literally called the guys up and said, hey, I'm going to move out here and I'd love to come audition. And they say, well, listen, if you move out here, you know, and you're halfway cool, you'll be the drummer because we're tired of looking for somebody. And Jerry says, you're great. And we see pictures of it and you'll work. It'll be great. 
So I literally kind of had a gig waiting on me. So that made it a little easier. You know, I literally had a buddy who was an actor. He's like, I got a guest house. You can stay out there till you get your feet on the ground. Um, and you can come out and do the audition. And I, mo- I literally came out, did the audition over at Mates, got the gig. And I was like, all right, I'm off and running. Perfect. This is fantastic. So wow. it seemed like everything kind of happened really, really fast. You know, I mean, I met Matt Sorum over at Mates probably that same week that I was there with um, the Shake the Faith number nine guys. I met the Motley guys rehearsing with John Karabi over there. And I just met all these really great connections from guys that I respected in bands. And they all ended up being very helpful to me, you know, in my career in one way or another. Uh, so it was, it was cool, man. It's just like anything, you know, when you, when you, you got right place, right time. And if you position yourself and you're in the right place, that's when things can happen. If you, you know, are prepared for it. It's a lot of little things. Oh, millions of them. You know, it's like, it seems, I remember hearing Joe Walsh say, you know, life seems like this crazy bunch of just million things all crashing into one another and all this chaos and everything. And then you look back later in your life and it looks like a finely crafted novel, you know, how all these little things came together and led, led, led you to where you are now, you know? Yeah. Crazy. So how did you, um, I, I met you as the bass player in LA yep. Guns. So, yep. so take us from Shake the Faith to LA Guns. And if there's anything in between that I'm skipping over, well, please feel free to fill in the blank. Yeah, man. After the Shake the Faith thing uh, turned into number nine, didn't seem to really, we really couldn't seem to get a, a substantial deal going. Um, I decided I've got to look for another gig. And I met Blue Saraceno. And blues was actually in poison now. So now I'm playing with the this, this second poison guitar player. <laughs> yeah. I started a little side band with blues. Um, and, you know, we knocked around for about six months trying to get something going, but it didn't really ha- didn't really happen. And he had to go on the road with poison down in South America. So he left. Uh, I got a, I had a buddy who got me an audition with a band that was signed to Warner brothers and they were called God's child. Um, and I got the gig with those guys, went on tour with those guys um, made a couple of records and changed the band name to Joe 90, uh, on our second record. And then, uh, I w- I met a guy, he was this amazing producer, engineer, bass player, and his name was Muddy and Muddy happened to be in LA Guns. And so Muddy brought me in to play drums on this crazy band's album called the Brian Jonestown Massacre that he was producing. So I became friends with Muddy and he would bring me into other sessions, uh, and have me play on records. And finally, Muddy said, you know, I've kind of d- did my time in LA Guns. I'm getting ready to go play with Gilby Clark and Slim Jim from the Stray Cats. Would you want to play bass in LA Guns? I know you're a drummer, but I also know you enjoy playing bass. And I was kind of at a point in time where I was like, I was burnt out on the drums and I just needed something to do. I wanted to do something different. And I loved LA Guns. He said, you're going to love Tracy and Phil. They're awesome. You're going to have a blast. And so I, I literally said, yeah, that's, that sounds like, that sounds a lot of fun. You know, tell, hook me up with the audition. And uh, so he hooked me up with the audition and I went down and played with him and got the gig. And uh, that was, man, I think I played with him for about eight or nine years on, as the bass player. And, and I joined on the man in the moon record on that tour, but he had made the record with him. So I went out and did that tour. And on that tour, we started writing together. And then we made a record after that tour, which was the wake in the dead record. Yep. We literally wrote every day on the bus and at sound checks and literally wrote the whole record, you know, while we were out there. Uh, just just because, you know, you have so much time on the road, you're just bored 23 hours out of the day. So yeah. 
<laughs> we made good use of that time and got creative and productive. And Tracy had a little, little recorder and we would do demos on that. Um, and then stayed with those guys for almost 10 years. Yeah, about eight or nine, nine years, maybe, I think. And we made some good records. And uh, Tracy had started talking. And after we did that tour, when, once that whole thing had kind of wound down, that was probably about maybe the time I met you, Dave. Um, Tracy had started talking with Nikki Six, and he and Nikki had been talking about the idea of doing like a side band. And so they decided they wanted to try to make a record and they were going to do the Brides Project, Brides of Destruction. Yeah. And so initially I was kind of helping them put that together. I recorded the demos for us to try to find them a singer. And so that's, that's when I found uh, the guy that was cutting my hair. His name was London. And I said, I think you might be a good candidate for them because you have this look they're looking for. So we did a demo and got him to come sing on it. And Nikki said, yeah, I love it. It'll, it'll be great. So, you know, initially the brides was going to be a side project and then Nikki was going to go do the, the Motley Crue reunion and Tracy was going to come back to LA gun. So it was all supposed to be just like, Hey, let's do something fun. Keep us fired up and creative. Uh, but you know, that, that kind of splintered the LA guns family for a while there and cr created all sorts of drama. Um, but uh, that's, I guess that's another story for another day. <laughs> but yeah, man, it was one of the greatest decisions I ever made. I, I love those guys, their family. I still work with Tracy and Phil today. I, I played drums on their new record and got to mix it as well. That's coming out in November. Just mix their live record that's coming out uh, in July, live from Vegas. And uh, I actually wrote a, wrote a song with them on this new record too. Um, so, you know, all these years later, we're still doing work together which is which is beautiful you know yeah yeah i i want to go on record as saying i think waking the dead is one of the best albums in the la guns catalog for uh, my, thanks man for from my opinion thanks I, man. i love that record and it came at a time when you know a lot of people kind of maybe had written the band off it was a absolutely past their heyday or whatever but that record came out and i was like oh my god this is really strong man this is this is this stands up nicely to anything they're known for. That's cool. And so man. anyone listening that kind of gave up on LA guns, you know, after the cocked and loaded record or Hollywood vampires, if you're into those records, uh, you owe yourself uh, a favor and uh, you need to pick up waking the dead. Why so you got to talk about me? I'm sitting right here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I, um, also, that also has a lot to do with Andy Johns, man. You know, yes. that was the first record we got to make with him with him legendary and and you literally are going we're about to start making a record with the guy who recorded led zeppelin and the stones and we were just i mean it was like talk about a dream come true man you know i just literally got to sit down and say tell me about john bonham <laughs> you know tell me everything i was a, yeah. literally a sponge just taking notes on everything and and andy was an amazing guy he was so musical he was such a musician himself he could say no try this bass part da, 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 da. and you know every time he would make a suggestion you try it and it would be great you know yeah br a brilliant guy man so i i don't know if i'm allowed to say this but i'm just yeah. going to um i've actually heard the new la guns record and it's good, man. It is. It really <laughs> so is, man. You play drums on the whole thing, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And yes. now, what? Which? Which of the songs did you write or co-write or? Work? Um, I the, I think it's going to be the first single. It's called uh, "If It's Over Now." 
I love that song, man. Yeah, man. Well, yeah. they, you know, they they sent me a demo of "Let You Down" before we tracked that song. Great song. And I had a moment where I I just was like, wow. I was getting chills listening to the demo, and I said, not only is this one of the best things Ellie Guns ever wrote, this is one still to this day after a couple of years of having put it, you know, behind us. It's one of my favorite songs. I still put it on and I get chills, man. It's so amazing that uh, I wish I had written on that song, but I was blessed to be able to play drums on it and mix it. Um, but can, yeah, man, they they they're at a they're, they've hit a whole new a whole new chapter. And I mean, they they really have, man. I mean, it's just it's insane because I mean, when they came back, when when Tracy and Phil decided to reunite and put out the missing piece record, yeah, um, I I. As a fan, I had high hopes and I, I was kind of like rooting for them. And I was like, I hope this comes out, you know, and, and yeah. it's great and it knocks people out and everything. I listened to that record. We were just talking on a previous episode to uh, David Roach from Junkyard. Yep. And Junkyard and LA Guns both put out comeback records, if you will, yep. in 2017. And those two records got more spins in my house than probably any other records of the past five years. Yeah. I mean, I listened to that record inside out and yep. then, and then, you know, less than two years later, the devil, you know, follows it. Yep. And, um, and now you've got a third album with this, this incarnation of the band, a third album is in the can just waiting yep. to be released. Checkered and, past. And yeah, checkered past. And I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about. <laughs> yeah, you can say it. You can okay. say it. Yeah, yeah well, I, it's been it's been uh, it's been reported and published that the name is called uh, checkered past comes yeah. out in November. Um, but yeah, I and then the the song you just mentioned, "Let You Down," was sort yeah. of released as a teaser probably about a year ago. Yep. And I remember you know listening to it and thinking, "Wow, this is it's kind of an unusual song for L.A. Guns in the very respect. much." It's very kind of moody and atmospheric. It's not yeah. one of their slam bang, kick down the door, rock and not roll. at all. It's I told them, I said, you guys, I think you guys wrote, you know, the Ballad of Jane is what you're most famous for. You know, that's kind of like your Angie. I said, but you guys wrote your dream on with this song, man. It's like yeah. that's what it does to me. It makes me feel something like that song does. It's, so me it's just being a fly powerful. on the wall here a little bit. I, I mean, I, I I'm enjoying you guys sort of like rattle off all of this, like, uh, you know, production, uh, songwriting and growth of, of a band that's been around for decades. Yeah. That, that I toot my horn here, shameless plug that I've toured with, but they've gone through. So they've met, they've morphed into and splintered and been to court over the name and yep. blah, all of such craziness, which sounds pretty fucking normal when you sort of, in retrospect, when you think about yeah. your bands, I mean, that's kind of like the normal, you know, thing, but uh, to, to hear you guys sort of like engage about where Tracy and Phil are sort of this, uh, you can't have pudding without sugar, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it doesn't, you know, it's going to taste like shit if you don't have the sugar with the right yeah. ingredient. Man, those, those magic combinations of people work yeah. together, you know, where, where this, my point was only, only trying to be like just hearing you guys talk about these 
other moments, he's Ballad of Jane, you know, Rip and Tear. Then, then I'm, I'm kind of lost in LA guns land after that. Cause yeah. I'm still listening to my girl album. So yeah. the, the, <laughs> the thing is, is, uh, and that's fine. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love it that these guys are able to still sort of like put their hands into the, into the water and come up with fish. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That mean that you guys are as, as, uh, as, as, players and writers and fans uh and even me who's just late to the party can go what what are you guys talking about that's awesome um yeah this is kind of where where i wanted to speak up and go if you're you're saying all of these things that make me want to listen to that yeah well, that, that's kind of my point is like I, I, I said it earlier and, and I say this about a lot of bands that I that I grew up with. You know, um, I have a lot of, you know, high school friends. We were all Judas Priest fans. We were all Iron Maiden fans. We were all Saxon fans, L.A. Guns fans. And, I, you know, for the most part, a lot of them outgrew rock and roll or whatever. Uh, or they, yeah. Stop, Hold the phone for a second. So if when that ever happens, guys they were never into it. They were into it because the a girl they liked, liked it, or they didn't have any friends and they needed some friends. So they put on a Led Zeppelin t-shirt and went to school. And then all of a sudden they had friends. But when they realized, wow, I don't need to like rock and roll to have friends. Or to have a life or a family or whatever. Yeah. Right. So my, they were my, just, they were just there to, to wear the costumes so they could get through high school. They didn't, my, they weren't really true headbangers. They weren't really true rockers. It was, I used to like rock and roll. Whenever you hear that, think of what I'm saying right now. Yeah. It's a red flag. That's yeah. right. That's <laughs> exactly. right. <laughs> Duly noted. But, but so here's my point. And, and, um, so I tell these people all the time, cause I know they, they, they know the band names or whatever, but I'm like, if you stopped listening to Saxon, if you stopped listening to Judas, Saxon and Judas Priest just put out amazing records. The last, uh, rat record was really, I, I liked it as maybe even better than out of the cellar. I don't think anybody heard it. It was a yeah. great record. And L.A. Guns is doing that quality of work at this point in their career. And I think that's what I'm trying to say. So yeah. that new rat record, just for fun, is 20 years is, old, 15 years yeah, old. Came, yeah, yeah, like the last know, one. Early, early <laughs> I, I, think that, that's, I think that's why I was very careful to say the last one, not the, the last one. one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. OK, so, so you you're in the L.A. Guns family and then um you recently, and I want to get to some of your production work here in just a minute, but I want to, I want to spend just a couple more minutes uh, with you as a musician, uh, a working musician. You, you were kind of uh, behind the scenes, went into the production field for a while, and then on a leg of an L.A. Guns tour recently, when the second guitar slot continued to churn as it does, uh, you went back out on the road and played second guitar with them. Yeah. And so how was it all those years later? And, and you're a, you're a married man with a daughter and you're a family guy and you're kind of, yeah. you're kind of grounded and rooted in your work being at home now. Yeah. What was it like for you to sort of, to, to kind of leave everything and go live out of a suitcase and be on stage and play the clubs? And, you know, it was, it was a, so much fun because I haven't done it in so long that that was great to get to revisit it with those guys. Um, 
you play in all that music is just a lot of fun. And um, we did a great, a great run through the States. And then I got to go to Europe with them for three weeks. And, you know, it, they're just there because of the missing piece album where they're at now, they're, they're able to play bit, bigger, bigger, better places. And so it was a pleasure every night, you know, you were playing really cool venues and all the shows were sold out. And it was like, it was a lot of fun. It's like, finally, all those years that we slogged it through the trench, just trying to keep the band, you know, some semblance of the band together, you know, to keep the name alive without doing it too much damage. And it's like, finally, they, those guys are, are uh, they're finally getting their just due. And it, it's great. So, so what do you think it is somebody as somebody who spends time with Phil and Tracy and has been yeah. on the bus and in, in the band and all that yep. stuff. Um, all these years later now we're on a, we're, we're looking at a third studio album coming out since the reunion. What is it about their two personalities that has sort of simmered down and allowed this to sort of blossom at this late stage? Cause I could see them getting together and doing one album and then all the old demons would come back mm -hmm. and they'd end up in an argument and a fight. And that would be the last of that. But we're talking, we're on three records now Yeah, and the tours, I guess are going well. So as someone, as an insider, what is it yeah. about the personalities that is sort of chilled out and made this possible? Age and experience. That's it. You know, older, wiser, uh, a little more compassionate, to each other, a little more understanding of one another, uh, one and and giving each other space too. You know, they just know how to res they respect one another, uh, and they know how to how to communicate better now. So it's like, it's just like a, an old married couple who went to therapy, and you just learn how to how to do it now, and it's just fun. And it's like, yeah, man, you ha you hang in the front of the bus, and I, we hang in the back of the bus, or whatever, giving each other space. It's just learning how to do it with some age and experience and then going, hey, this is actually fun. And look what's happening. You know, our album's charting at Billboard and we're having great sell. We get to go play sellout shows in Paris and in England. And it's like we're doing it. At, we've taken it up a notch. Who knew, you know, that was possible. Well, there you go. I want to say I want to jump in here as Garth. Yep. You know, uh, I am the Garth to Dave Wayne uh, <laughs> and just say, I don't give a fuck that it's 30 something years later yeah that yeah i don't either that you guys i can say but 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 you know that phil and tracy are able to say the things that you are putting on the table and and these uh you know accolades accomplishments these proud moments um they didn't necessarily have to go totally broke to to find the you know the pot of gold the missing piece yeah they didn't <laughs> yeah. have to go broke to do it they just had to learn a little bit uh, yep. from things that they might have done and said in the past yeah man you know i i i try to uh continually being a student of life and those guys kind of got with that same thing you know like yeah. let's just keep learning let's keep learning how to you know how to be better at what we do let's learn how to be maybe better people let's learn how to be better uh together getting along yeah. uh you know it's just it's just man that that's the beauty of getting older man is we get wisdom with that and if you if you just can utilize that wisdom man it's just like that's that's everything i also feel like they they probably had to make a lot of hard decisions that they didn't really want to make but they had to make in order to find their own happiness 
Absolutely. Uh, which not a lot of bands are willing to do to, I'm saying like, uh, maybe the, you know, the, like Dave said a second ago, the guitar player, it's a spinal tap wheel, mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah. a lot of bands won't do that. They'll keep the same guys in the band, whether it's, yeah. uh, the best thing for the band or not. And there's something to be said for that because it's, yeah when you're in a band, it's family, but. I, yeah, feel, that, I feel like there's a lot of bands that will have to make those changes for health reasons. Yeah, man. You yeah. got to get, you know, to toxic people do not belong with a lot of no. people who are, who are are all working and pulling together and happy and healthy and trying to make something yeah. work. You know, it's just going to it just it becomes a disease that takes over the whole thing and sinks the ship. So, yeah, and know, I'm, not, gotta, I'm not pinpointing any former member of L.A. Guns or current member of whichever L.A. Guns you like to talk about. But the point that I'm making is real. And I, I feel like uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, this little nugget on Talk Loud or podcast before with uh, Dave will remind me, uh, you know, it was an episode about, uh, you know, if there's only one member left, do you support that band or do you go right. where there's more members or do you just go right. with the one that has the original singer or do you go see a band that has no members in, you know, right. might as well be called a tribute band. You know, we yep. talked about this on the show. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm not trying to relive that episode. I'm just saying the things that we're talking about here, the things that you're talking about, about older, wiser, uh, whatever is the medicine to could be the medicine. You don't know to, uh, the success of where you are now with the people that you are working with now and not necessarily it be about that fan who's nerding out on, well, I'm only going to go see them if they have the original singer, you know, whatever it is. I, I should point at myself a little bit because I, you know, I, I'm just a fan, you know, I'm not yeah. committing any crimes or anything like that. But these things that we're sort of going around the room with now via your uh, Dave's question and your answers are really kind of, you know, this uh, enlightened enlightenment is, the, is only the thing, the only thing that's going to set anybody free. And then let's get back in and say, and help you write, the song you need to write that day. There you go. Yeah. So I, whatever the, whatever the, the chemistry is, it's obviously working and I'm, I'm glad to see that it wasn't just a, a short lived flash in the pan. And uh, I, I've just really been excited about anytime I hear news about LA guns, you know, dropping a new single or working on a new album because I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan and they've proven to me that, you know, the second wind is for real and, yep. uh, and that's, that's awesome. And I'm happy for him. Yeah, me too. Me, <laughs> me too. too. I am. So let's, let's jump from LA guns. I want to spend some time on your, your career as a producer because you've arguably you've, you've done maybe spend more years doing that than you did as a working musician or maybe about the same, but you've done some pretty, um, you've produced albums by some pretty well-known names and some of them are people I wouldn't even expect to put out albums. For. Right. You know, um, let's talk about, you know, William Shatner and David Hasselhoff. That, that just trips me out that William Shatner pulls up in your driveway. I'm out, yo, I gotta go. 
<laughs> I mean, how, what is it like when Captain Kirk shows up at your house? And 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 I mean, how do you even approach? Because he, he's not he's not known as being a musician. So how do you take that when somebody approaches you and says, "Hey, William Shatner wants to cut a record," and are yeah. I mean, do you just go, um, I want to do this because it's William Shatner, but what the fuck are we possibly going to pull out of this? Did you record that Rocket Man? Didn't he do Rocket Man? Well, no, he is. He did uh, what got him started doing anything musical was back in the 70s. Oh. He did Rocket Man and he was okay. smoking the cigarette and right. he was reciting it. And it was, it, and it was hysterical yeah, and, yeah. and it kind of caught on as this little cult video, you yeah. know. And years later, he got approached by that uh, singer, piano songwriter, Ben Folds, back in the okay, 90s. Yeah, yeah. And they did an amazing record called Has Been. And it was this wow. really great concept album. And he had Henry Rollins and all sorts of fan, friends of his on it. And they had a little hit on it called Common People. It was a, a, a pulp song, sung by the band Pulp, that English alternative band yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was really great and so he hadn't done anything since then and then I got a call from the label uh, Brian Pereira at Cleopatra and he said I, ha I think I have a real fun project that I want to use you on would you want to have a meeting with William Shatner and I'm, I was like of course I want to have a meeting with William Shatner this sounds fantastic and we literally sat down in his office and we started chatting and he goes I have no idea about music all I know is I like music, but I'm no musician, so I don't know what to do. And from there, we just started knocking around ideas and we're like, well, you know, I kind of I told him that I had appreciated the record, you know, what he had done musically. And I said, I, I understand why, you know, a certain group of people thinks it's fantastic because you're in on the joke. It's funny, but you're in on it. You know, you're laughing with the people. And that's one thing that he's great about is he's just he's in on the whole joke of, of the character of William Shatner and the overdramatic whatever it is that we all that if you like William Shatner you love about him and it's just right. a sweetheart of a guy you know he's willing to, to take chances and he's willing to laugh at himself and he's willing to fail uh, and he just says yes to things and we just put together a crazy concept record and had the most amazing guests on it and it ended up you know, getting a number one on the Billboard Heatseeker chart. So it, it seemed to work. Who knew? Yeah. We, got, we had Peter Frampton on it. We had Sheryl Crow. We had Richie Blackmore. We had uh, Nick from The Strokes. I mean, you just looked at every song and you were like, well, who's who of, of popular music? It was Bootsy Collins from Parliament and James Brown. Yeah. And that that was almost more of a of a education making that record than it was working with William Shatner. I mean, working with people like of that stature, you you really learn, you know, how to work with somebody. And, you know, you're working with people with huge egos and people that are, you know, sometimes they're, you know, uh, just a household name and you know at the at the core of it we're all human beings so we're all just people and so just treating somebody with the respect that you would of any other person is kind of where you start yeah but then again you know working with someone like someone like that he expects a certain level of professionalism you know because of of his career and where he's at and what he's achieved and who all who all he's worked with so there was a lot of there was a lot of pressure in that but getting to to work with Cheryl Crow and people like that 
I learned so much just from a, an hour long vocal session with her because, you know, she's just one of the greatest singers there are. She has perfect pitch and there's a reason that she's as incredibly successful as she is. She's just, God tapped her on the head and gave her an incredible gift. And I got to have Lyle Lovett in here. And he is another one of those where you're just like, wow, I'm, in, I'm witnessing something great while this person is performing. And it's so obvious, you just get those chills, you know? And you learn so much from the, from those people, you know, you realize that, you know, there's a reason that, that people with that gift, there's only so many of them around. And, and as time goes on, you know, we're losing a lot of those people because yeah. it doesn't seem to be uh, the craft uh, of making great music and being a great performer doesn't seem to be embraced anymore because in the right. digital age in the world of protest, yeah. that's a whole nother yeah, conversation. That's a, that's a whole new show. That's a whole, you know, yeah. college course in, in music business. Let's, you know, let's, uh, let's elaborate just for a second. Uh, yeah. Cause I don't want to, we could go on for hours from your chair where you're sitting and you have Bootsy Collins, you know, in the control room and he's got a bass on and cables everywhere and, and, or, or cutting a vocal with Cheryl Crow, as you said, um, you know, finding the, 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 the right suggestion that yes. works for them as well yep. as taking their, um, the level of comfort that they're suggesting they need, that you need to know how far yes. to, to reach in yep, because they're learning about you as well. Tell us, Absolutely. give us a scenario about from the producer's chair, the engineer producer chair through the glass or just like over the shoulder. I imagine yeah. Bootsy Collins, That's... you know, star headstock whacking you in the, you know, in the <laughs> exactly. back of the head or what, you know, I mean, yeah, don't well, shit for you eat kind of thing because this is, a, this is sensitive by way of, you know, I love it that William Shatner was able to go, I don't just consider me you know, the, the, the student. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He was Absolutely. starting like that. Well, Cheryl Crow's not a student and Bootsy's nope. not a student. So from your eyes, where, where do you. Yeah, man. I think that student? that all plays into the psychology of, of producing a record, you know, um, and knowing how to, how to read a situation, knowing when you've pushed somebody too far, you Whoops. have to feel them out, yeah. feel those when things get a little uncomfortable or, yep. you know, like, okay, I can piece together a great take from what we've done. Let's not burn this person out. You know, we, we want this to be a pleasant experience for them. Mm -hmm. uh, music should be, it should be a joyful experience. You know, it's, it can be a lot of hard work, as you know. Right. But yeah, every situation is different. Every relationship you have, you know, it is sometimes getting in there with somebody you've never met and trying to, to you know, feel put and putting them uh, at, at the most ease I can possibly put them in. Uh, that's what I try to do first and foremost is like, I want them to walk into a situation and go, oh, this feels comfortable. I'm going to be able to like relax and uh, make great music and do what I do great. And so I, one of the things I try to do is I try to be as prepared as I possibly can, do all the homework I possibly can, do all the prep work, find out what they're going to need. You know, with Cheryl Crow, her manager was like, you got to go rent her this $10,000 microphone and da, 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 da. So, you know, okay, that's, she's doing this for William Shatner because she's a friend of his. And so mm -hmm. she's doing him a favor. She's probably not yeah. getting paid. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, 
I, you know, I've been like, okay, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make her feel as most, the most comfortable as possible. And I'm going to have that mic hot and ready to go. So she can just walk in, grab a bottle of water, put on the headphones and go. And she came in and was prepared to stay a couple hours, but we literally knocked her part out in like 20 minutes. She's like, that's it. I'm like, that's it. And it's the same with Elliot Easton. You know, when he comes over, we chat for 20 minutes and we and he plays for 15 and then we're gone because I, now, you know, I do all of that, the, the work that I need to do to make sure, like, how can I make this easy breezy for this guy? How can I make, I want him to go, man, this sounds great. That was easy. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, if we got what we need and this guy's happy, that's great. I um, feel like that's how it's supposed to be. Like it when, be. if it's someone that you, that you met right away or, or the, for the first time and there's no way to look them up, let's say they're a new band or, you know, yep. we don't know each other. Hi, nice to meet you for the first time. Yeah. Okay. Now you're all, all of a sudden you're bleeding into a microphone. Yep. Um, you're having to learn about how hard they're hitting. Absolutely. Uh, let's try this different microphone, whatever it is. And you have to be careful about yep. that as well. Absolutely. You don't know their sensitivities and they may only know this microphone and this sound. So, yep. And they may or may not be willing to try a different microphone. Oh, you're absolutely right, yeah. man. We're, yeah. so, we, we're some people are of... just really, really hard-headed about <laughs> what the hell is going on with because what they're hearing back is important to them for yeah. them to be able to produce what they need to hear in order to absolutely. Be, be comfortable. Yeah. Um, absolutely. What, do you feel like you, you've had to, like, let's say it's that scenario where there's someone brand new yeah. and they – they, you know, they've been singing long enough to where, you know, they can sing and they're good, but, but you don't know them where you're basically one song, you're making them sing an hour or two hours yeah. on one song yeah. just to get that magic performance out. Have you yeah. been in that situation too? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely have. I like, I kind of like to make sure, like I said, I make sure that we're all knowing going into this, that we've all prepared. Um, and then again, sometimes you just have to go guerrilla warfare and do what you got to do to get it. But the what I usually do is I like to, to have them do like a vocalist. I'll say, let's do three takes. How are you? And I'll ask them and I'll say, how are you most comfortable? Do you like to sing a whole pass of a song? Do you, or do you like to sing part by part? Or do you want me to punch you in as we go? So I kind of like to figure out a little game plan, like what's going to make you the most comfortable. And if you have a mic you love, let's plug it in. Let's use that. Um, and if it's working, great. I mean, Bono, when he goes in the studio, he's at, at the point in his career was he, where he's like, he walks in with an SM58, a cheap little $100 uh, microphone, a Beta 58 or whatever, because he loves to hold it in his hand and he loves to perform and he doesn't like to be tied down. You know, it sounds I mean, to me when I, I hear records. People, I know some people exactly like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you understand, you know, as a producer and an engineer, I would love to say, hey, man, I've got a $10,000 German tube mic that I'm going to sound put, that I'm going to put a pantyhose in front of. Exactly. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and you're going to sound a lot better on it. But am I going to get him to to perform the song with heart and soul? And there you go. Like, let's let's make him comfortable. And if we can find uh, some place and where we can meet in the middle and everybody's happy, then there you go. That's a win win. Yeah. Well, you know. as as artists, I feel like artists need to be prepared to meet, um, you know, someone who's the knob twiddler, the engineer, the producer, 
the the person who's writing the checks, uh, <laughs> all of this crew that you are there because of, you're there because of that. Uh, they need to be, if they're a new artist, right? If they're, or if they're shit, even if they're just doing demos with a name guy, you know, they need to be willing to go to meet, meet halfway. Absolutely. Uh, Teasing and Pleasing was recorded with the 58. There you uh, go. But I had to fight Max Norman for that. I'm sure. Got every I'm microphone sure. in the world set up yeah. and I'm going, man, the demo sounds better than this. And he's oh, like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, and I'm like, dude listen for yourself i'll wait yeah. you know yeah. so i used a 58 and it was the, there you go it was, it was the big hit so what the fuck yeah there you go man. i wasn't and challenging that, the knowledge of of a name producer yeah i was letting him know i'm gonna be more comfortable and you're gonna get yes. more out of me in less yep. time if you just let me grab the fucking microphone and eat it yep let me be comfortable doing what i do it's like yeah. You're you're building a house, man, and you know that tool that that you're going to get most work done, the best work done, and be the most comfortable. And it's like that's what you do, man. Those but are the. But it's also the learning experience of the artist, just yeah. like it is your suggest. Like, how far do you reach in before you piss somebody off? Yeah, it's two way street. The, yeah, man. The fact, the fact that that you are doing any kind of uh, research and preparedness. It says volumes. Cool, man. Well, yeah. yeah, that's that's the thing, man. It's like when I when I have somebody come over and visit, you know, a friend of mine. I like let me find out what their favorite beverage is. Let me find out what they like and what they don't like. Like you, as a producer, you try to be a good host. You know, you that's, try to make that called, person come. That's yeah, called like bait. That's bait. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're setting traps. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, they got big red and Twizzlers in here. Exactly, no man. Who, who told them I was coming? You know, big love, red, man. Nothing like it. I love that nothing you're sharing like this. It. I love that you're sharing this because um, I, I don't think a lot of people, because it's a, it's a very intangible skill. I don't think a lot of people, when they think of a producer, they think of somebody who understands <clears throat> music and gear and getting sounds. But you're bringing in aspects like, I mean, you're part psychologist you're like i love the fact that you just used the word host and um getting to you know massaging those personalities and those egos and seeing how far you can push and when you should lay back is uh is a skill that they don't, they probably don't teach you in production school <laughs> no not at all man not at all and they and you know it really isn't and i and there's all these videos of people like produced like a pro and everything and it's like you know, if you're going to produce like a pro and you're going to produce A-list artists and huge people, you know, the gear and the techniques and all that stuff are so less important than it is knowing how Amen. to get the, yeah, knowing Amen. all the psychology of how to work with this yeah. person. And, you know, I like, like it sometimes. That, I like it that you are, sorry to interrupt. I like it that you are, um, you know, close with LA Guns so you can fucking play be the drummer on the record but you know produce and engineer the record you know get the tones and create the record and i relate it to uh jared our producer of talk louder and w within the broken teeth camp and and the bands that he works with but more so in broken teeth because he's in the fucking band he's playing on the record he wrote yeah. the fucking songs with you he's gonna know how far to reach in automatic there's no yeah. question so your relationship with the bands that you're in that you're also producing 
It's huge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we were doing the LA Guns record and Tracy would send me a solo and I would say, you know, I, I know I've got a certain limit with him where I say, hey man, this tone doesn't seem to be work. Try another patch. And he will. But he's also one of those guys where he's like, after a couple of times, we got we got to get it right. He doesn't have a lot of patience for trying a million things. He's going to, you know, he's going to get it right the second time and give me what's going to fit in that sound of that song. That's, Perfect. That's common. So you just, though. there you go, that man. That seems you just, common to me. Yeah. So that's you common. just, I just know, like, I know how, how far I can push with him. And that, that just comes with time and experience working with him enough, you know? Yeah. But, you know, I always say in the end of the day, it's like when I'm working on helping somebody with their record, it's their record. So in the end, you get the final vote and say, I can put in my two cents and tell you what I think. But that's all it is. It's just an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I want to I want to touch on on uh, two other projects yeah. that, that you've worked on, because I, I don't want to. I don't want to gloss over them. I don't want to not mention them, but I don't want to spend a lot of time because I, I want to be respectful of your time with your family and everything on a oh, Friday thanks, afternoon. Man. But um, uh, I, I have to bring this up because, I, again, it's another one of these oddball things. So how how were you approached about producing a record for David Hasselhoff, which is really – I understand he's a big, major star over in Europe, like huge. So I don't know if he sells records or if he's just a well-known TV actor or a movie star or whatever, but he apparently has a huge audience in Europe, and he did quite well in the United States, for sure, don't get me wrong. So talk briefly about how you got that gig and what it was like working with him, and then yeah. talk also briefly about – you mentioned at the top of the show, or maybe we weren't even rolling tape yet, but you mentioned you're you're doing something with Anne Margaret. Yeah, yeah, so we're making a record with uh, we're getting Anne Margaret to make a record. It's going to be like a a real cool swinging sixties kind of garage rock sounding record. I mean, she's eighty years old, but she still sings cool. She still sings great, and that's where she comes from, man. Oh, the man. Elvis movies and the yeah that whole scene. So it's going to be fun. My favorite movie man. with her, and this is kind of an oddball, is with Anthony Hopkins. Magic. Oh magic yes i used to see that ad when i was a kid with a dummy talking and you know there was and i still get chills thinking about how terrifying <laughs> that ad was freaky i used to have the Hugh, the hugo doll yeah you know what i'm talking about <laughs> i do with different mustaches and it was this plastic <laughs> hand puppet that was freaky. inanimate you couldn't move the mouth or anything it was just yeah. fucked up and yeah magic always remind I, I saw that magic when i was little yeah it fucked with me that was pre-exorcist, right? Yep, yep. So, so you, you it's had, funny you reference that because that was I totally remember that from. Uh, when I was and a kid she was too. great in it. And Anthony yeah, Hopkins she, had hair. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you haven't worked with Anne yet. This is this is this is forthcoming, correct? She's coming to do vocals uh, next month here, and I'm doing drums on the songs. My my co-producer uh, Jurgen Engler, who lives in Austin. From that, uh, we do tons of records together. We usually co-produce the Shatner stuff, but he's producing the Anne Margaret record. But I'm going to play drums on it and uh, produce her vocals here. And we already started. I'm doing one of the tracks now. So, wow. yeah, man. You know, I just I, I get I'm very blessed where I wake up every day and I and I'm like, man, what kind of musical adventure am I going to go on today? Because it usually seems like something completely different in left field, and you know, it's pretty what's crazy. Hassel, what's Hasselhoff like? He's amazing, with. man. He's he's almost seven feet tall, so he's already larger than life to begin with. 
Yeah. He's just a really gregarious, sweetheart, funny guy. Um, he had a career singing in Europe. And, you know, he was he was big over there before he was even an actor here known for Knight Rider or Baywatch. Oh, I... that's why he's so successful over there. He, okay. he had a uh, singing. Career. So he was a singer before he was an actor. Ah. And so, uh, you know, he hadn't made a record in years and the label called him and they worked out a deal and they said they wanted to do something. And he's managed by the same manager that uh, William Shatner was. So I think I got put a good word, got put in through that through that chain through that uh connection for me you never found out who to send the bottle of wine to yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so i just sent him to brian Pereira at the label and i say thanks for keeping me busy man yeah. so it always comes from him so I, I also wanted to give a shout out to uh the sun bomb record that you oh did. yeah thanks uh, man that sun was fun bomb is uh tracy guns and michael sweet from striper and uh you played drums on that right yeah i played drums and mixed it and Johnny Martin plays on a track as well. Yes, uh, he does. Mitch Davis plays on most yep. of it, and Johnny plays on a track. That's correct. Yeah. So uh, I've been listening to that record too. Uh, nice. Also some good stuff. So, yeah, man, yeah. I'm just like super proud of everything that oh, you've thanks, accomplished. Man. It's it's amazing. Thanks, brother. I it's appreciate good. it. I feel the same way, man. It's nice seeing us all grow up and have families and doing cool stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and still having a toe in the rock and roll waters, you know? Oh, like yeah, man. Something where the three of us are obviously never going to outgrow this. No, so. you don't outgrow rock and roll when you're a real rock and roll. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one last question, and then I'll let Jason have a last stab if he wants. And okay. Then you go. I had to had to ask you. What got you hooked on rock and roll as a kid? Was it a particular album? Was it a concert? Did you see a performer on television and go, I want to do that? What What is it that got you so um, enthusiastic about music that you not only wanted to be a fan, you wanted yeah. to pursue it? Well, I think it was just in my blood because my cousin on my mom's side of the family is that songwriter Mose Allison from Mississippi. Uh, he wrote Young Man's Blues and, you know, the Who's covered him and the Foo Fighters covered him. Wow. Look him up. He's amazing. Wow. Uh, jazz, blues, piano, a white kind of a blues jazz guy. And so I had it in my family and grew up around it. Um, and then when I was a kid, I remember hearing Tina Turner and uh, Rolling on the River. And man, I just I just was like, whoa, what is that? And then I discovered Kiss and it was all over. Yeah. You know, <laughs> from Proud Mary to Detroit Rock City. <laughs> yeah, man. And then and then the older I got a little older, then I started going back and discovering all uh, ACDC and Zeppelin and all and, and Iron Maiden. And, you know, but it all kind of started with that. I remember walking into a record store and uh, Love Gun was playing and it had just come out. And I remember walked up and I'm like, what? is this superheroes that play rock and roll yeah i'm like i'm in you know and that was it so yeah. it yeah. kind of all started with that you know but at the same time i loved all my dad's records i love the beatles i love the, the fleetwood mac as a drummer i love buddy rich so i would get all that big band stuff and i still listen to all that stuff today uh i, I listen to so much different stuff that it just makes it make your head spin but that's the great thing about it. It's like, I feel like music is like, if, if you're a musician and you, you make music, if I were a painter, I wouldn't want to paint with one color, man. I, I'm like, there's a million different color combinations. And I just love that about music is I'm always discovering something new. It's usually older. I'm just kind of digging back, going back the further, the older I get, the further I go back. 
Yeah. But uh, man, it's just, you know, it's, it's just, it's the, it's the breath of life that keeps me alive, you know? Excellent. So, as a producer, let me ask you one more. I know I was going to let you go here a minute ago, but as a producer, um, what's your dream gig? What band are you dying to produce? You know, I don't know, man. I, I, I've done so many strange and wonderful gigs and albums and projects with people that I never knew would even be a bucket list thing. You know, I mean, I never really had a, had, uh, the desire to write a theme for a WWE wrestler, but I just did. And now that I've got that, uh, that I wrote a theme for that Trey Baxter guy, it's his new theme. So I'm getting to do all this stuff and half the things that I've never dreamed about doing, I'm getting to do. And I'm like, well, that's like, I kind of live in my, my wildest dreams and getting to do, I pretty much met or work with everybody ever dreamed about. And, you know, Led Zeppelin's probably not going to get back together and make another yeah. record. So I, I don't know, man, I I'm just, I appreciate everything I'm getting to do. And, you know, I really don't have any kind of bucket list uh, yeah. thing like that. You know, it's I'd love to be you're, in the f- you're open-minded about yourself and yeah, you're, you're I mean, ready, I just, you're ready. I for just it. love, I, I think I love, ch- I love a challenge too. The older I get, I love working with somebody that like, I'm like, well, I would have never dreamed I w- it would be an amazing experience working with them and getting work with them and just learning so much and, and then discovering their whole catalog, you know, like I wasn't a huge Counting Crows fan and, but we ended up getting befriending that band and they had one of my bands years ago sing on their record and they played on our record. And now I love them. I think they're one of the great bands, incredible songwriters. And so, you know, just one little thing, one little thing leads to a whole nother thing, you know? Yeah. Fun fact, uh, disclaimer, August and everything after is I've got a soft spot for that record. Oh yeah, man. Just (laughs) crushing songs, man. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I have, uh, I have one last thing and, and we can kind of wrap this up. When you, when Adam writes a song, say for, you know, a rock project or, um, you know, a some kind of easy listening or a country song or uh, the theme song for a wrestler. It's got to be kind of rowdy and loud and fat and has to come in crushing or you see there's these different uh, sort of, you know, you're like standing in the middle and those are the spokes and you have to choose one to get you sort of rolling. Is it, are you inspired just by the obvious things and you just start, let's say you start from nothing, but you're just, okay, I'm going to grab this one and put it on, put it in a, in the pot and start, you know, yeah. throwing my own ingredients in and see what I come up. Where do you, how does well, that? What's really helpful in what I do now is I'm usually given a task. So we, shall we say like, for example, uh, if we're going to work on a, a rock project or something for TV and film, they'll say, here's what we need. We want you to do. We want you to create some tracks that are just heavy and use a seven string guitar. And, you know, Modern. this is what, right. So I'm given that path and I go, okay, that's, that's my, that's my road sign. That's going to lead me down that. So what yeah, I do Jared is. Jared and I have actually done some shit like that before. Yeah. They, they pretty much paint the picture they want, but for yeah. some reason by, by law, they can't use that picture. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah, I mean, create exactly what they want or. Yeah. So, you know, when you're, when you're doing TV, like TV and film composing stuff, you know, it, you're in the service industry. You're trying to give them what they want. And, you know, it can be a lot of different revisions and a lot of different 
But, you know, a lot of the things I, I don't usually just, I don't, it's not like I sit down and say, I'm going to make an Adam record. What am I going to write about? I usually, it's like, it's, it's a work project. I have a good idea of where I'm going to go. So I literally will take my iPad, my uh, iPhone, put on the voice recorder, and then I'll start messing with the acoustic guitar and I'll lay down maybe five or six ideas mm -hmm. and then listen to them tomorrow and say, oh, that one's got some potential. Let me grab my second seven string guitar and come up with a cool BPM and start writing some riffs. So it usually starts like that. I'm usually kind of given a roadmap and then I just kind of follow that roadmap and see where it leads. Yeah. Uh, but every, but you know, every project's different. Every situation is different. Uh, uh, and it, for like a William Shatner record, if they said, hey, we're going to do an, or an original and I'll literally just sit down with him and we'll say, hey, what do we want to write about? What, let's, let's, let's come up with our concept or let's come up with an idea first uh, so we're not just grabbing it, grasping at straws, you know? Uh, and, and that creates an emotion yeah, or a color. Yep. And you start mixing those together and you Absolutely. start writing, you start painting that picture with sound. Yeah. And you know how it is, man. One thing leads to another that leads to another. And all of a sudden the road goes in this direction and then maybe it turns back, you know? Uh, it, so you just never know. I just say, you just have to stay open, man. You know, I say a little prayer before I write and just say, Hey, show me what you want me to write God. And, and let's see where he ends up. Who knows where it's going to go? You know? Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. the main, I think you're saying a lot of great things about you have to be open and, and willing to, to drink the punch that's served. Yep. At that moment. So you can, you know, build something from nothing, which is what music is. It's, yeah. it's wood and wire until it's not. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm, I love that, uh, that Herb Alpert documentary where he says, uh, it's great that you said that because it reminded me, he, so he had some emotional stuff happen in his life and he couldn't play trumpet uh -oh. and he just literally lost the ability to play. So they found him this really, really great, uh, man who was just like an old wise yoda uh jazz guy and he just held up the trumpet to him and he goes hey man this is just a piece of plumbing you know you're the instrument you know the music comes you know this is just a little you know like you said it's just wooden wire you know the magic comes through that you know yeah i like, and, it. I and like I, the plumbing because a trumpet yeah. to me could you know you, you hook that up under the sink and you yeah got a, you know <laughs> got a hose that hooks on here and then yeah. yep yeah, I mean, use it as a plunger, I'm telling you, man. Yeah. But it's so true, though. It's so true. Like, you know, a drum is just a just a round piece of a tree, you know, with a skin tightened over. It's like you're really the instrument, you know, and you're absolutely yeah. right when you say that, you know. Yeah, play the song, not the drums. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's a good and that's a great, great thing to end on, because that's one of the best produ producing production uh, nuggets that you can give to any band is don't don't play the your instrument for you play for the song so that's wise man good good wisdom there yeah this has been great adam i want to be the yeah. i want to beat dave to the punch and say thank you very much oh man my my pleasure i loved getting to hang with you guys today it, absolutely I, yeah thank you so much man and uh i'm just I, i'm just really proud of your your the career you've built for yourself and and i think it, it, you you're obviously a skilled dude but i think one of the reasons that you get so much work is what we just discovered here today and we've known all along you're just a you're just a chill dude and you're easy to hang with and thanks man um, you guys too and you know very gracious and i know that takes you a long way besides just uh your technical ability so uh I thanks for staying in touch that. all these years and and continuing to be a friend and uh and for joining us today 
And uh, absolutely, thank you. Give my best to the LA Guns guys when you talk to them next. I for love sure. those guys. I'm a big fan, and I can't wait for that new album to come out, and hopefully a tour to follow. So, yeah, man. Uh, meantime, say hello to your lovely wife and your daughter for me. Uh, we'll wrap it up, ladies and gentlemen. Adam Hamilton, our guest today on the Talk Louder podcast. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host Jason McMaster. Thank you again for listening to the Talk Louder podcast. 